We're looking at the book of Matthew. And uh, we're in chapter 5. We're about to head into the Sermon on the Mount. Yeshua calls his disciples and then he gives this powerful sermon. And last week we looked at the term disciples to see just exactly what it meant to the first century believer. To the first century Jew. A disciple in the first century was one who totally devoted himself to his teacher in the sense that he was devoted to become just like his rabbi. And many rabbis were like Yeshua. They were itinerant. They were traveling about. And so a disciple would actually follow their rabbi, live with their rabbi. And they would learn how he did everything. He'd learn his teachings word for word. And the thing that I want you to see is because of this close relationship, this traveling about with the rabbi, that rabbi had to live out his words. He couldn't teach one thing and then live something else. So the point I want to make to you as we go through these teachings in the next few weeks, we're learning who Yeshua is. Not just what He taught, but how He lived and how He walked through life. And the sermon is, of course, one of Yeshua's most important teachings, this particular sermon. And as we go through this in the next few weeks, I hope to show you something that you may not have considered in Yeshua's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And that's how this teaching would have weighed heavily on the Apostle Shaul. Matthew 5 begins this way with verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying... So the thing I want you to see here is Yeshua is about to teach the people who have gathered to hear him. He's going to teach his understanding of Torah. In many cases, we're going to see that his teachings conflict with the established way of living out Torah. With the Pharisees. He doesn't teach as the Pharisees. In that the Pharisees rest their authority of their teachings, the authority of their teachings, on one of the fathers of Judaism, somebody that preceded them. Yeshua, however, will teach as one with authority. And we can learn a few things about his teachings if we look at his words elsewhere. In John chapter 14 and verse 23, he tells us this. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. You see, Yeshua taught as one with authority as his words were those of the Father. That means every word he spoke was the heart of God and the absolute truth. The Pharisees, however, not so much. As with any man, their teachings were mixed with a bit of flesh, a bit of ambition, and then they were lived out with a human frailty. Now, if you remember back to my teaching on Yeshua in the Torah, the book of Deuteronomy, you remember that I teach that Yeshua is the prophet like Moses and how his life parallels the life, uh, Moses, Moses, uh, Yeshua's life parallels the life of Moses. And when this prophet like Moses came, Deuteronomy 18 says that he would teach the very words of God, just like we read Yeshua was doing. And to allude to the fact that he is this prophet, he speaks to the people from a mountain in his first sermon. Just as the Lord came down on a mountain and first spoke to Israel. And I want you to understand something else. I don't teach, as I've heard some teach, that he taught from a mountain because he came to replace the words of Torah. I've heard some 
preach that in the church. But if you think about it, that teaching nullifies the very words of Yeshua in this very sermon. As he says in chapter 5, not one jot or tittle will any means pass away from the Torah until heaven and earth disappear. But the parallels to include this one are a shadow that God has given us to show us that, yes, indeed, this is the prophet like Moses. But the prophet wasn't coming to replace Torah. He was coming to replace the mediators that the people had placed between them and God. You know, if you look at Mount Sinai, if you look at that experience, you're going to find God wanted to originally speak to the people on a personal level, just as Yeshua is doing from the mountain. And if you read Exodus chapter 19, God says to the people, if you'll hear my voice and you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And so Israel says yes to God. So that's the original agreement. Hear my voice and keep my covenant. Very much like the disciple-rabbi relationship that we spoke of last week. Well, then God keeps his part of the agreement and he comes down on the mountain and he speaks to the people from the mountain. But they become fearful. Don't, they say to Moses, you speak to us, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. Well, Yeshua starts his sermon out very much the same way. Just as God tells the people, if you hear my voice, you'll be a treasured people. A happy people. And Yeshua begins by telling the people that lo those who live by what I want to call a lives that reflect the kingdom of heaven because that's what he's going to be teaching them. He says they're blessed. Blessed are they. He'll tell us in the message how to be that blessed people. Now if we look at the word blessed, we're going to look at it in a moment, but in short, the word implies God's attitude toward someone who obeys Him and who is in covenant relationship with Him. They're going to be blessed. They're going to be happy, as we're going to see in a moment. In other words, it's God that makes you blessed. Just as God said, if you hear my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession. Yeshua, while putting the blessed first, is saying, if you live life, as a kingdom member, then you are blessed because God will make you blessed. And so I want you to see the formula is very much the same. Now, as I said, there's one thing that we must understand if we're going to look at the first part of this sermon, the Beatitudes, and that is, what does this word blessed really mean? And if we look at the Greek, we find it is the, the word makarios, and it means well-off, blessed, happy. The Greek word means well-off and happy. In the mouth of Yeshua in Hebrew that the gospel this was written in, it would have been the Hebrew word ashrei. And we've looked at this before. Many Messianic teachers have elaborated on what this word means. So I'm just going to give you the short of it today. I put the definition up here. The word ashrei comes from the Hebrew word ashar. And it means to go straight, to walk, go on, advance, make progress, to be advanced, to be led on, happy and blessed. As you can see, the root word of ashrei means happiness. But it's a bit misleading just to read that word happiness or happy. Let me give you an example. If I go to a bar tonight and I look around at all the frivolity going on, there are going to be a lot of people there who seem happy. But of those people, I could not say they were ashrei. 
Cheryl and I just went on vacation and we went to the rabbi's conference and being in Florida made me very happy. But it would be a real stretch to say that I was a shrey. Let me explain why. Notice that it also says go straight to make progress. In other words, it means to be on the right path. And it says to be advanced, to be led on. In other words, Yeshua is saying happy and led is the man who does these things. The one who does these things is making progress. He's being led. Well, who's he being led by? The one who does these things will be led of the Lord. Happy is the man. Blessed is the man who's led of the Lord. Let's go to a place where this is used. We say it each week in our Torah service. The rabbis inserted this into the Torah service because it speaks of wisdom that's gained from understanding the Torah. Proverbs 3 and verse 13 says, Blessed is the man who finds wisdom the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all of her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundation. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the deeps were divided. And the clouds let dew drop the dew. Again we see that it's translated happy. If we look at this verse it says in verse 13 it says happy is the man who finds wisdom and gains understanding. This verse speaks of one with wisdom and understanding that has been obtained through understanding God's word and through relationship with God. Think about the word happy. Does that does it really describe a man who has true wisdom and true understanding and a true knowledge of God? You see, he's much more happy than we think of with the word happy. His peace, he has a peace that surpasses understanding that surpasses what we think of as happiness. He has a contentment with life that surpasses the understanding of others. Others would say, how can this man be at peace when the world is falling around, down around him? Well, we know that it's easy because he knows God. He knows God is in control. He studied the Word. He's read the end of the book and he knows that the righteous win in the end. Of course, He's still happy, but the point is, and the point I want to make, he's, he's much more than happy. He's peaceful. He's content. You know, 250 years before Yeshua, Alexander the Great commissioned 70 rabbis to translate the Bible into Greek. And listen to the way that the Bible uh, was translated. The, the Septuagint translate this very verse. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 18 reads this way. She is a tree of life to all that lay hold of her and she is a secure help to all who stay themselves on her as on the Lord. And so what do they translate this word instead of happy? They say a secure help. Secure are those who lay hold of the wisdom and understanding. Secure means free of danger, free of risk, of loss, confident. One who has an assured expectation. 
So if a person who is a shrey, we could say they're more than happy, they're secure, they're confident, they're content. That's what Yeshua is trying to get across to his listeners, that those who do these things are secure because their paths are straight and they're led by the Spirit of God. We know this because I can tell you that if you read through these things, man cannot do these things on his own. The flesh gets in the way. And so for a man to live this life, he has to be led by the Spirit of God. And happy and secure is that man. If you, if you leave your own selfish and fleshly ways and be led of the Spirit, you will be ashray. You will be happy and secure. I want to go to a place who, and read about a man who left his ways and his former life to follow God. He left to be led of the Lord. And let's see what God speaks to him and of him. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the people's on earth will be blessed through you. You see, those who follow God come under the blessing of Abraham. This word blessing here in Hebrew is not the same one we've been looking at. It's not the word ashray. The Hebrew word here is barak. And when it comes to God, I will bless, he says, I will bless you. It means to bless, to adore. Can you imagine that? God is saying to Abraham, I will adore you. I will bless you. I will adore you. And then it says, you will be a blessing. And again, the word here for blessing is different again. It's the word berachah. It means blessing, a source of blessing, a gift. And so he says, I'll adore you and you'll be a blessing and you'll be prosperity for others. You'll be a gift to others. In other words, it means that those who look at you and do as you do will be blessed as well. If you look at the life of Abraham and live as he lived, you'll come under the blessing of Abraham. And you'll be Ashrei. I put the definition up here one more time for Ashrei. To go straight, to advance, to be led on. You'll be happy, you'll be content, you'll be on the right path, you'll be walking straight, you'll be making progress because you're led of the Spirit of God, just like Abraham was led of God. And because of that, you'll have a joy and a happiness that surpasses understanding because your understanding will not come from men, it will not come from the world, but it will be like Yeshua's understanding, like Abraham's understanding from God. They receive wisdom and understanding from God and they come under His blessed blessing and so they are blessed, they are happy, they are secure and they are content. And at the end of the blessed hours, He says, you are a light to the world. And I want to look at that for a moment to again help set up these first few verses. Because the other thing to note here is that there are actually nine of these statements, blessed ours. And since we're so close to Hanukkah, we just went by Hanukkah a few weeks ago. Can you think of another nine that has to do with Hanukkah? How about the Hanukkah? If you look at a Hanukkah, you'll note that the center branch of the Hanukkah is special. It's called the shamish, the servant. The servant branch. And when you light a Hanukkah, you light that center branch and then you take that center branch and you use it to light all the rest. 
While the menorah in the temple has only seven branches, the center branch has that same feature. It's a special branch. It's called the Ner Elohim, the light of God. Well, if we go to the center of these blessed R's, we find that it's this one in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And we're going to look at more closely at this one next week. But I want you to consider that this one is pivotal to the others. The others hang on this one. Mercy is the focus of Yeshua's teachings. We need to show each other mercy. Mercy in keeping the Torah. Don't keep Torah with judgment for others, not as a club, but be patient with others, just as God has been patient with you to show you the right way. We need to be forgivers of one another. It's a must if you're going to be a member of Yeshua's kingdom because He forgave everyone in His kingdom. We need to be forgivers of one another. People ask me, What's the unforgivable sin? The fact is, somebody asked me the other day, is blasphemy, what, what's, what's blasphemy? What's that unforgivable sin? Well, I'm not going to address blasphemy today, but I'll tell you there is another unforgivable sin. And it's a really sneaky one. You hardly even know you have it. It's the sin of unforgiveness. Yeshua says, if you don't forgive, you'll not be forgiven by our Heavenly Father. If you die with unforgiveness in your heart, you're going to have a problem. That's what Yeshua is saying. Listen to what Matthew 6 and verse 14. If you forgive others, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The point being, we need to be merciful and we need to be full of forgiveness toward one another if we want God to be so toward us. It's pivotal for life in the kingdom. The other thing is this. Many believe that these blessed R's are things that will come upon us in the future kingdom. That's not consistent with the rest of the New Covenant writings. Remember, last a few weeks ago, we made the point of saying Yeshua preached the kingdom of heaven is near. Well, it's as near today as it was when Yeshua spoke those words. The fact is, the writer of Hebrews tells us that it's here today if you hear His voice. And do not harden your heart. That doesn't mean that you won't see trouble in your life. It doesn't mean that you, it doesn't mean that you won't see trouble. But what it does mean is that you, you'll have peace and, and contentment through that trouble. Even though the world may seem like it's falling down around you, God will keep you secure and content. So we could say instead of the blessed are or happy, we could say, we could translate that verse this way. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, we could say it this way. Secure and content are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want you to look at this for a minute. Yeshua says, secure and content are the poor in spirit. How can that be? Think about it. The poor in spirit are secure and content? How can it be? Well, the kingdom of heaven is a topsy-turvy place. Yeshua says the first are last, the last are first. Who are the poor in the spirit? Well, again, that's easy. The poor in the spirit are those who say to God, I'm bankrupt. I can't go on. I can't make it on my own. I need you in my life. 
Your ways are not my way. Lord, I want your ways. I want true life that your ways bring. The poor in spirit, the poor spirit says, I cannot do the things that you'd have me do. If you're not in my life helping me, guiding me, I can't make it on my own. I'm poor and I just can't do it on my own. And when you say that to God, He's going to respond. He'll answer you. And you'll become secure and content in Him. And when you do that, you don't look poor in spirit anymore. Because He gives you life in the kingdom. Yeshua starts with, He's starting with how to gain an entrance into the kingdom. It takes being poor in spirit. It takes being crying out to God and relying on God. That's true wealth in life. Security and contentment in life. And it comes from God. And he says in the next passage, he says, Secure and content are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, in the kingdom, those who mourn. How is that? How can there be those who mourn in the kingdom? And how can those who mourn be secure and content? Because in the kingdom, those who mourn and show kindness to those who suffer will be comforted? Could that be what it means? Listen to what Isaiah 61 and verse 1 says. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called mighty oaks, like a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. This is what Yeshua came to do. Listen to Him. He came to comfort those who mourn. We can relate this. I want to read from James. I want to read the words of James about this word mourn. Listen to what he says. James chapter 4 and verse 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail and change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift us up, lift you up. And so James tells us what it means to mourn. He tells those in sin to weep and mourn for what they've done. If you weep and mourn for what you were, and you take the path that Yeshua has laid out for us in this sermon, you're going to be happy and content. Matthew 5 says, Secure and content are the meek, for they shall inherit the, the earth. How is it that the humble can inherit the earth from the proud and the strong? Well, the same way our Lord Yeshua gained victory over the proud, He humbled Himself to this life and even to an undeserved death and won freedom for the captives. The kingdom is not what the world thinks. It's a topsy-turvy place. The first are last, the last are first. It's the opposite of what we see in this world. In the same vein, He says, secure and content on a straight path are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Think of that. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst are powerful images. 
and powerful forces in your life. Hunger and thirst drive you to do things to satisfy that hunger and thirst. You can't do much else until you satisfy your hunger and your thirst. You have to have water. You have to have food. It's a driving force in your life. And that's the image that imagery that Yeshua is trying to get across to us here. If your life is filled with the pursuit of righteousness, and that pursuit can't be satisfied until you obtain righteousness, Yeshua says, it will come to you. You'll be filled. Hunger and thirst after it. Righteousness is a simple concept, really. It's how we treat our brothers. And it's walking upright before God. And so Yeshua here, in the opening of this sermon, tells us how to move from this life and its desires to life with Him. We have to come to a place in our lives where we realize that our ways are leading to destruction. And that we're at a loss to help ourselves. That we're bankrupt. We're poor in spirit. We need help. Just as the poor need help. We have to come to a place where we mourn over the things that we've done, over this bankrupt behavior that we've, that we've pursued. And plead with God for His direction in our lives. Humble ourselves before God and in that meekness accept the direction of God. Hunger and thirst after His righteous ways. Not being satisfied until we find that righteousness. And if we do those things... We become members of the kingdom and we will have security and peace that surpasses understanding because our understanding is not from this age, but it's from the coming age. People will look at us in amazement as they did Yeshua and his disciples. And more than that, we'll be living lives as Yeshua lived and as he trained his disciples to live. And we'll be disciples of Rabbi Yeshua.